0: Lord, we just come before you. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we just search what you would have us to learn from all of this. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 104. And I'm going to read the whole thing. starting at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. Who covers your with light as with a garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, who lays the beams in the chambers of the water, who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks upon the wings of the wind, who makes his angel spirits, his ministers of flaming fire, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water. the water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the voice of your thunder, they hastened away. They go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys, and the place which you have founded for them. You have set a bound on them that they may not pass over, and that they turn not again to cover the earth. He sends the springs to the valleys which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field, the wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing unto the branches. He waters the hills from his chambers. The, the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle, the herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth and wine that makes glad the heart of man and oil to make his face to shine and bread that which strengthens man's hearts. The trees of the Lord's full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon which he plants, where the birds make their nest as the stork as for the stork, the fir trees are her home. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the coonies. He appoints the moon for the seasons. The sun knows is going down. You make darkness and it is night wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from from God. The sun rises and they gather themselves together and lay down in their dens. Man goes forth unto his work and his labor until the evening. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your riches; so is the great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships. There, there is the leviathan, whom you have made to play therein. These will wait all upon you, and you, that you may give them their meat in their due season. That you give them, they gather what you give them. They gather. They open your. You open your hand and they are, f- are filled with good. You hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die, and return to dust. You send forth your spirit and they are created. And, they, and you renew the face of the earth. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his work. He looks upon the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless you the Lord, O oh my soul, praise you the Lord. Very powerful song about God's strength, His power, and His authority. Yes, Annie? In chapter 18, what's comes- Chapter, well, when we get there, that's talking about either some kind of ground squirrel, it most likely is its biggest definition. Okay. Rock, but they call it walk. The the other one they use it is is rock badgers, <laughs> some kind of animal that likes the rocks, and somehow digs, digs holes in it. And that's a you know, and uh, we see we see them all. You know, we see them even around here. Up, uh, we see the little squirrels that that you know love the rocks. You know, they don't run up and down trees. They just make their little holes in the rocks and. And so that's we, one of those words. We're not absolutely sure what it is. So they used coonies, which technically is a rabbit <laughs> in Old English. Yeah. But, it's, but this is not what they're referring to when they're talking about the, in the rocks because rabbits don't really like rocks. So the rabbit is not really the right definition. Because you read old, old stories that go, we've got a brace of coonies or rabbits you know, to, to make dinner out of. of dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but what we have here may be different oh yeah yeah definitely i'm just using the squirrel the little the, the little ground squirrels chipmunk they don't look like chipmunks to me but i know they're not chipmunks either because again chipmunks don't use make their homes in the rocks and everything so it's a type of animal that loves the rock it's the only thing we really know about it all right verse 13 he waters the hills as from his chambers the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works And before this, we were talking, we saw the deluge, the noetic deluge, where God covered the world and the waters went back and he's bound, he's bound them. Uh, He set a bound for them. He talks about how all the animals are watered by God. And this is very important for us to understand because God takes care of his creation. Jesus told them, you know, look at the lilies of the field, they're clothed better than Brother in Solomon and then they were they're here and they're gone. Look at the birds, they neither sow nor reap, and yet your father takes care of them. Why are you worried about what how you're going to be taken care of? And this is the topic that God keeps bringing over all through the scriptures. He will care for his world. He will care for his creation. And because he cares for all of creation, man should be able to just relax and say God you're gonna take care of me the problem is we have this capacity to be able to worry about the future (laughs) whereas animals don't seem to worry about the future the dog our pets don't worry about am I gonna get fed tomorrow is my family gonna come and feed me they just expect to be fed and even if you don't feed them they still don't worry (laughs) about this where my food is coming from they may give you a kind of a dirty look, you know, saying, uh, hey, you know, maybe, maybe walk to their bowl and say, uh, you know, this is, this is empty. Uh, you're supposed to have filled this. But, uh, or, or drags it over to you. But all of these verses are for God showing us he is going to take care of us. We need to be able to understand because he takes care of everything else, he will take care of us. We are the ultimate of his creation. We're the epitome of his creation. The man has the breath of life in him and God cares for him or cares for us. Uh, Verse 14, he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and the herbs for the service of man that he may bring forth fruit out of the earth. So here's again, now he's very specifically saying, I'm giving grass for all the animals. And just in case you're really worried about it, I'm giving you the herbs. (laughs) which is what he gave us in Genesis to eat, the herbs, the fruit. Anything that bears a seed is something that we can eat. And pretty much, it is true that if there's a seed in it, we can eat whatever there is with a seed in it. Uh, and I, can't, I don't know, I'm not big on herbology, but I don't think there's anything that is, has a seed in it that we can't eat, but I won't, pro- I won't say there absolutely isn't. But God gave us all seed-bearing uh, uh, nuts, we, we get to eat nuts. We get to eat fruit. We get to eat. But we can eat carrots and radishes too. Yeah. And they don't have seeds. Well, that's just he specifically said seed bearing. So. bear seeds. Yeah, they have seeds in them. Otherwise, they wouldn't reproduce. But he does this so that the earth brings forth fruit. Now, knowing what happened in Garden of Eden, it doesn't bear fruit as well as it used to because God has cursed the earth. But it, but it still bears enough. Food to feed us and it's amazing what God does for this world. This world is so resilient over the years. It recovers from man's destruction. It recovered from the flood. It recovers from the devastation of burning, burning it up. And a matter of fact, there are people that say that the burning of the forest is actually a great benefit for the forest as well because things pop up and get re- revitalized. Uh, the, the plains would sweep with fires every once in a while and burn up everything and revitalize. Uh, you know we have droughts and everything that seem to bring up bring some good from it as well because too much water is not good for for our ground and plants and too little water is not necessarily good for it, but God knows what to do. But by the same token, flooding moves things around and, and plants in and and part of the reason that the Mississippi was as great a place to grow things is because the water would overflow the banks and put in all kinds of nutrients and everything into the ground. And then when we stopped, we stopped it from flooding the ground. We stopped, it soon started to diminish in, it, in its ability to grow. So every time man tries to get involved to fix problems, we find out that those problems had a lot of reason for them and had benefit in them that we weren't being aware of. And we've seen this happen where people have tried to get rid of certain animals by introducing other animals into it that didn't have a predator. And the next thing you knew, the animal you introduced was, you know, killing all, the other one, all of the other ones that had no predator to, to destroy it. So, you know, we see this over and over. When man gets involved, we don't understand all of the implications of what we do often in, a, in the things we try to fix. And I can see this even as a computer programmer. There's times when you go in to fix something and you fix, you fix this line of code to do what you want it to do, and all of a sudden it has cascading effects down the road that all of a sudden now you have a whole program that doesn't work because you didn't analyze it well enough to make sure you knew all of the problems. And sometimes when, the, if, when something is so complex, you can't know all of where, it, where it's going to impact. And we see this all the time. That's what I said this morning. How often do we get ready to commit a sin and we count all the costs we think we know and we say, okay, I'm willing to pay the consequences for this. And then God says, well, really, you're not. You haven't, con- you haven't c- contemplated all of the consequences. And we go on and we commit the sin and then we find out, oh, it's hurt my family. It's done this, it's done this, it's done this. Oh, there's a lot of things I never thought it was going to do. And so here God says, I take care of your food. And this is something even the, you know, when we get into it. How many times do we think, God, look at this. Look what I have done. I have gone out and earned this paycheck. Well, who gave you the ability to do the work in the first place? Who gave the owner of the company the, the ability to be able to run a company to give you a paycheck? Even if you were your farmer on your own, who actually created everything and made the rules to make the ground produce in the first place. And God can say, "Well, you think you're, you think you're so special? Let's say you are a farmer. You think you're a really good farmer? Let me show you how quick you can lose, lose a crop. We'll just send a flood through there. We'll wipe out your whole crop. We'll send in some, some disease that the, the grain will get. Wipe out the crop. We just won't let it rain at all and we'll wipe out the crop. And man thinks that we are so special at times because we can get over some of the problems that God sends our way because we have the ability to think. And God says, relax. He says he gave the herb for the service of man, the green plants, all the plants out there he gave for, our, for us. Do you realize that everything about creation was geared for man? When you think about it, everything was for man. The light, the moon, the sun, the water, everything about it, the animals, the grass, the fruit, everything was geared for man to have dominion and for our pleasure. This is why I tease a lot of people about your, all of the animal lovers about how much you love your animals and their family and everything. But I also understand it is nice to have an animal and they, they do bring companionship and they bring they do have a lot of things that are valuable about them, and they are for our service. I have more of an opinion that they're basically service animals, but it's fine. Uh, but you know, God brought all the animals to Adam and Eve. They named them, and I can imagine they were pets to Adam and Eve, especially after you named them. Uh, he gave names to everything, and that that changes it. As soon as you as soon as you give your name to your animal, it's it's no longer, you know. And this is what they tell you, if you're, gonna, if you're raising animals that you want to eat, don't name them. Because <laughs> it's really hard to find penny, penny Henny on the table for dinner. Uh, you know, or or Wooly Lamb on the table for dinner one night. It's, uh <laughs> but you know, even having said that, God with the Passover lamb, that lamb was brought into the family to be examined for four days okay, it was brought in and it was made more than just a lamb in the flock because you know little Betty and little little George were playing with this lamb, you know, oh this lamb's so cute. Four days later that lamb is on the table roasted with herbs in there with its blood on the door because he wanted it to say this is something that's personal. This isn't just why? Because Jesus is personal with us. He is personal, and it cost him a lot for our salvation. And so the examination for four days, which is why I've told people I believe Jesus ministered for four years. He was the Passover lamb that was examined by the people for the same period of time. And most people will stretch it to three and a half, and they look through, the through. and I believe it was four years just because he is the Passover lamb, and the completion of the Passover lamb examination would be four years you know, four years as, as opposed to four days. And I'm not going to stand hard. If anybody wants to argue with me, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not going to take a hard stand, but it makes perfect sense to me. He is the Passover lamb. He would have been examined for the same amount of time as the Passover lamb would have been examined, and four days to four years. Uh, and then he says in verse 15, something that's really interesting, the wine that makes glad the heart of man, the oil his face to shine, and the bread which strengthens man's heart. Bread we know. Bread is very common. Bread is where we get our strength, our nutrition. Every, every nationality has some form of bread that they use. Uh, it may not be bread like we use, but there's some form of bread, whether it's the, the pita in the Middle East or the, or the burrito shell that they use in most of the uh, South America and everything, or full force bread like we use. Or in the South, cornbread is almost as, as, as popular as regular bread for them. Uh, their bread means something to all people. And he says he gives bread men to strengthen the heart. When we, get, when we get fed, that strengthens us. Usually if you're having a bad time, eating sometimes is a way just to get strength and a renewed mindset. And that's one of the reasons that some people overeat because they turn too much to the, to the food. But he says, wine makes the heart of man glad. And this is said in the proverbs as well. And to a degree wine does that. It makes people forget, which is why people get into becoming drunks many times. They start trying to forget too much. And I don't I I would never advocate it, but the scriptures does say and, and this is one of the, one of the proverbs saying, you know, the wine is not for the king, but wine is for those who need who are of great um, I can't remember the word, terror or or distress, I think it was distress, and basically he was being told, you know, king, you need to keep your wits about you, but if somebody's really having a hard time, wine will make them forget for a while, and that is a true statement. It makes us forget. Now, sometimes the problems problems aren't gone, and sometimes there's bigger problems the next day if you get too far, too far, but... But it is said that just a small amount of wine is good. Paul told Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. Help your stomach feel better. He wasn't telling Timothy to go out and get roaring drunk. But he says, go out and take a little, a little. And of course, wine in that day was not quite as strong as even our wines are today. It was very weak. It was very lightly fermented, if it was fermented. And sometimes it wasn't fermented. Oftentimes it was as the wine in Passover would not have been fermented wine because it would have, that would have meant that it had yeast or some form of leaven. So it would have been grape juice at that particular event because wine is fermented, which means that it had leaven, which would not be allowed into their, in their possession. And then he goes, the oil to make his face to shine. We talked in, in Matthew just on Thursday night that the, Jesus condemned the hypocrites because when they fasted, they would make their face look terrible. They wouldn't wash their face. They wouldn't anoint themselves. And he said, you don't be like the hypocrites. You go out and you wash your face and you anoint your face with oil. Oil brings out... This, the smoothness and, and generates regenerates the body, especially the olive oils and stuff that they use or as Lynn likes to use coconut oil there's a lot of benefits from those kind those type of things and he's saying the oil oil was used in a lot of ways the olive oil was used in many ways in their day. if you had an injury, you washed it out you you put your your antibiotics which were garlic or honey and then you put pour poured oil over it to help seal it oil had that sealing agent on it it was used to anoint and keep the keep the bugs off of your aunt, especially your sheep you'd clean your sheep up good and then you would dump oil on them <laughs> olive oil on them to keep the bugs from getting into their into their skin especially if they were having trouble with those kind of things yeah, it, but it, it, but it, that's just it. Especially the raw oils that they used had that abil- ability to stick. They, they coated, they covered. They were medicinal. And he's saying all of that makes the face to shine. And when we think about, you know, when we talk about anointing in our day and age here in America especially, we think about just putting a little drop of oil on your forehead or something. And we have talked about this. When David was anointed to be king he took yes. a horn of oil a horn of oil was somewhere between five to ten gallons of oil oh my Lord. you want to talk about being anointed <laughs> you had oil pouring down you Getting that oil off your hair your what's that, Getting that oil off your hair your <laughs> you, yeah but it was an honor to be anointed so you didn't really you weren't looking to get rid of it because it was a great honor for it to happen but uh... There's the psalm I wanted to read on this. I know, I to see how, it looks. See how it looks. <laughs> I think I think they would like to say, "Okay, you want it? I, let me pour it on you instead." Uh, they'll take a selfie of you. Uh, psalm one thirty-three. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard. Even Aaron's beard and went down to the skirts of his garment as a dew of Hermon as the dew that descends upon the mountains of Zion for there the Lord commands his blessing life forevermore. When Aaron was anointed this was the picture of it they poured so much on that the oil ran down ran down his beard ran down his garments and you got to figure much of his garments would have soaked it up but it said it went all the way down to the to the skirt the bottom of the garment. Okay, it wasn't just here, have a cup of oil poured over you. This was when they did anointings, it was you are anointed. You are going to be totally covered. And why is this a very important thing for us? Because what does the, the oil represent? The Holy Spirit. When they anointed people, they poured it on, and they, the picture was here's the Holy Spirit coming down from, from your brain, down your top of your head, all the way down, covering there, you. Mommy? No, we don't know how long they wore it. I don't think it was that long because it would have been uncomfortable. It would have been uncomfortable. But the idea was, the picture of this is that the Holy Spirit is coming upon you and covering you completely. And in, it, is, it is a form of baptism. It is a form of baptism because the Holy Spirit comes, even to this day, the Holy Spirit comes on us, covers us. Now, we talk about it in the New Testament period of the Holy Spirit coming in us and dwelling in us. Now, I am of the opinion, and again I'm not going to sit and argue with anybody who's going to disagree with me, I believe it's a semantics difference between the Hebrew way of thinking and the Greek way of thinking. The Hebrews believe that he came over you and possessed you which to me is the same thing as indwelling you and, and possessing you that we use, that the Greek used as an internal activity because I still believe God has always been the same, yesterday, today, and forever, and I do believe that David was filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe Samuel was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, these guys didn't just have God on them, and and these people, theologians, make a huge distinction between these terms. But everybody in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on them. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit came in and filled. I don't know that the distinction is as strong <laughs> as most theologians want it to be. I think that God still, that just the way of thinking between the Hebrew way of thinking and the Greek way of thinking. Uh, now I could be wrong, and I'm not going to sit there and argue, but I think that God filled David with the Holy Spirit. I think he filled you know, uh, Joshua with the Holy Spirit, and, and Samuel, and Jeremiah, and Isaiah, and all these, and all these guys. I think it's just a difference in the way that the Hebrew describes it. And maybe somebody will, will tell me sometime the, the very distinct way in on it, but you know, from my study, I don't see any difference between the two words in a, re, in a real way and how God uses people. Now, people will go and, and love, they love Psalm 51 where David says, take not your Holy Spirit away from me. And they'll go, see, it was on them. God would take them off it at, at times. i go, no, I just think David was just like most Christians. God, I have sinned so bad. I don't know why you could possibly use me. Please don't abandon me. And I know Christians who have said that same prayer, even though God won't abandon them, I think that's what David was doing. God, I have messed up so bad. Please don't, <laughs> don't just leave me. And I don't think even there that he was saying that God would. It was just his prayer was, God, don't. Don't. Just as we do in our day and age for some people who have sinned so bad, they're going, God, I have just sinned so bad. I am so miserable. Don't leave me. And, and that's their one big verse. That's their one big verse they look at. You know, David was afraid God was going to leave him. Well, yeah, he had sinned really bad. Christians do the same thing. Even though God won't, they will still have that attitude of, don't leave me, God. And then they'll point to Saul who apparently lost his salvation you know, in the way they look at it. And I'm not sure that that's a true statement either. He backslid. He, he walked away from God and he did a lot of dumb things. But I believe that we probably will see Saul in heaven even though he sinned because it's God's grace. Even in that day, it was God's grace that allowed them to stand before God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now the verse doesn't say that Abraham found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but why did God choose Abraham? Because he wanted to. Not because he deserved it, and he proved it in his, day, in his walk, but he didn't deserve to be the one God chose. Now Sarah's not my wife, she's my sister. Go ahead and take and put her in your harem. I, you know, my life is saved. Uh, you know, and he did it twice. He didn't learn his lesson the first time. You know, there was many things that he did and he was a man of faith and when I and I'm not making fun of him because we all would do the same thing, save my skin and 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 let somebody else go to go go be taken out. Now, we do that stuff all the time. But we look at these people and we look at all the weaknesses of God's people. And there's basically only two people that we see in the scriptures that God doesn't say anything negative about. One of them being Joseph. Now, I have a feeling that Joseph had some times when he was a little grumpy and complaining about his situation for 17 years. I've been being sold into slavery and and then being thrown into prison on false charges. I can almost guarantee you there were days when he was saying, if no, nothing else than God, I don't understand you. You just have abandoned me in this place. And I'm here on false charges. My brother sold me into the slavery for no reason. And now I'm here because of that vicious woman who lied about me and sent me to this prison. Okay. Now, we're not told any of those things, but you know, we know that he had to have gone through those days. There had to be days when he was sitting there, God, I don't understand God, my brothers are supposed to be bowing down to me. This is what you showed me, but uh, I don't know how this is ever going to happen. There had to be days when he was having trouble, but God chooses in, in Joseph's life not to show the, share those with us. And Daniel was the other one. And Daniel was the other one that we see nothing negative said about. And he was very strong, and he, he probably he wasn't in the same place as Joseph, so he may not have had too many days, but he was human. Mm-hmm. He was human. And you got to think, he's been taken away from his family. He is royalty. He was royalty to begin with. Now he's a servant to the king and and not royalty. He has a lot of high position and power. He's no longer home. Probably never going to be home because he understands that Jeremiah told him that they'd be gone for 70 years. So even if they went home, he's going to be in his 80s. So 80s or 90s, depending on how old he was. And but he is the other one that nothing negative is said about. Every other servant of God, he shows their weaknesses. Why didn't, on those two? Well, Joseph, because he's a very great picture of Jesus, and he really is the picture of Jesus, delivering his, delivering the family, delivering the the children. Daniel, Daniel, just uh, was some, somebody that was phenomenal. We look at somebody also like Enoch. Enoch walked so close to God that he only lived one third of the life lifespan of everybody else, and he went home. God said, "Okay, you know, Enoch, you, you and I are really close. Let's just bring you with me." That doesn't say how, like, how old he was. Enoch, yeah. Enoch was 365 years old and was not. He never died. He was just raptured and taken to heaven. First well, person raptured. Only 365. Only 360. But that was in a day when everybody was living to be 900 and 900 something, 000. so. You know, he had a short lifespan. And then, of course, the other one was Elijah. Now, Elijah lived a full life, and God took him home on the, in the chariot of fire. He didn't have to die. So is it possible that we don't have to die? Yeah, if you, want to, if you can live a great, as close to a perfect life as possible, God will take you home without dying. Most of us, most of us aren't going to make that mark. <laughs> Yeah, and I include myself in that. In that, The only way the only way we're getting raptured is if Jesus comes back before we hit our death point. And that, and that isn't going to be because we deserve it. It isn't just going to be because I'm taking you out and the world's going to go through judgment. Just like what you said earlier, learning said at church, you said, well, if I die, I'm going to have him well, go am on the stage. But no, you can't because you can't go in front of us. <laughs> we all have to die together. Yeah. <laughs> Verse 16 says, the trees are the Lord's full of sap and the cedars of Lebanon, which he has planted. And I love this, full of sap, full of life. The trees are full of life. And the trees of Lebanon, which it says he planted. And apparently that whole area was a forest, massive forest at one point in time, because the trees of Lebanon are referred to all through scripture. The trees of Lebanon, how, how they made the... They got their trees for the the temple from Lebanon. they've got their the trees for the palace from Lebanon. and uh, I don't know if there's any that many trees in Lebanon in this day. I, from all the pictures I've seen, I've not seen any forest in that in that area. Things have changed. Things have changed. a lot of the A lot of the trees in that area were destroyed because the Muslims when, on the Ottoman Empire decided they were going to tax you by how many trees you had on your land. so. The easy way for people to not be taxed was to chop down all their trees. <laughs> but the consequences of tra- chopping down all your trees was soil erosion and swampland and desert. So they changed the face of that whole area because they were trying to avoid taxes. And people will avoid taxes if at all possible. And if they, you know they figured we were going to make lots of money. There's lots of trees there. We'll we'll tax their trees. You know, people just decided they wouldn't have any more trees. Um, and it says, the birds make their nests. As for the stork, the fir tree is her house. And I'm not sure if, the, if storks make their nests in trees or not, but apparently they do. But he says, the fir tree and the, and is the place for the stork, and, the, and probably the cedars are where their ber- the other birds were making their nests. But he says, God's provided. He provided the trees. The birds used them to, to nest in. And pine trees, those fir trees, yeah. Fir trees and pine trees. But God, we see this, you see the process of God saying, He goes, I'm giving you the water, I'm giving you the grass. By the way, I'm the one that put the trees there for the birds to to nest in. And He's showing you how He's p- providing for His creation. Imagine what a pelican looks like up in tree. I'll it. A pelican? Well, this is a stork, but. A stork has a long legs, long neck, and yeah, I mean, pelicans right. have a great big beak that fills up with water. And <laughs> yeah, they're shorter. Yeah, you know, a lot shorter. They're closer to the water. okay. Yeah. Either way, they, either one of them look right in the tree. Um, I've not seen many storks in trees, but I'm not, I'm not a bird watcher and a bird vertificiano, I know. So. But again, one thing we've, we've talked about this, when the animals are named and when trees and wood is named, those as far as the old language were concerned were technical terms and we do it the same thing to me a piece of wood is a piece of wood to somebody who's in carpentry they look at it and say this is a this is pine, this is oak, this is cedar, this is uh, redwood, this is you know hardwood, softwood soft, you know. and the same thing with animals it, we generally kind of know that it was a class of animal but we don't always really know the exact animal that the, Greek, the Hebrew refers to because again as far as the, the scholars were concerned that was a technical term and in anything that you do there's technical terms for for the item and I always remember and, I, and the reason this really stands out in my head is because in Baltimore I was listening to the Christian radio one time and they had this Australian co-host with them and they were doing an advertisement for a blind com- a company that did blinds. And they were naming off all the parts of the blinds, you know, the you know the sides and the ballast and all, you know, they were naming off all kinds of things. And the person from Australia says we don't even have words for the for all these things. And I'm thinking in my head I'm going, "Yes you do, you just don't know them." Okay. <laughs> but I am absolutely sure that in Australia they have words for all the parts of a blind. A blind if you're in that industry Mm -hmm. or you're a decorator you would know all the all the names for the different parts of the blinds if you're in carpentry you know all the different cuts and everything and if you started writing them out you know and nobody defined them a few years later nobody would know what you were saying even though another carpenter would like that oh yeah I know exactly what they were saying but it wouldn't mean anything to those who don't understand those words Uh, music this is the thing we find in Psalms all the time you know those who are not into music don't understand what, what these different terms for music are all about. Those are technical terms in the psalm that sometimes we just don't know what they're referring to. We don't know if they're referring to the, the, the pitch that they were using, the tone they were using, the speed they were using. Maybe it's the instrument. Many times we just don't know what it is they were referring to. And we make, they make as educated a guess as they can from other places that it's used. Now if we could find a dictionary, a music dictionary of Hebrew terms we'd be able to be able to find this, but so far nobody's found one. <laughs> it's never, because those who used it go, we know what we're talking about. We don't need to, to define these terms. This is why Noah Webster decided that God had called him to write a dictionary. Why? He goes, God communicates his his rules to us in words we need to be able to know what the words mean and it's really funny if you read the the original Noah Webster dictionaries Mm. compared to today's dictionaries and you find all kinds of interesting definitions which is why if you really want to understand the scriptures in your in the that King James is using you want to go use his his 18 whatever (laughs) I go online to use it but you can buy one too you can buy them but he defined the words the way they were actually used at the time. And sometimes it's interesting to read his dictionary and find out that we don't read the words the same way that, that the words being used. Words, words change. And one of the words that I've told everybody is the idea of tolerance. Everybody in this room is old enough to realize that when we learned the word tolerance, it meant that somebody had the right to be wrong, basically. I'm going to tolerate your desire to do something that's wrong because you have the right to be wrong. That's not the way our grandkids are learning this uh, word. Tolerance today means that I have to give you equal right with what I believe or I'm intolerant. Christians have gone from being the most tolerant people from the definition of our day to the most intolerant people because we will not say that other religions are just as as equally right as we are. That homosexuality, adultery, and fornication are okay because others say that they're okay. We have become very intolerant by the, by the transition of that word. And this is something we need the church to understand. Because this word has changed, we are becoming, by the world standard, intolerant. And if you de- deal with the world, the, the worst thing you can be is intolerant. And I've shared with you, I loved it when I was going to college because somebody in the 90s said, well, you're just so intolerant. And I go, yes, I am. Thank you. (laughs) Because they had just given me the worst possible insult they possibly could give me. And I said, you're right. I am intolerant by the way you defined intolerant. By the way you define tolerance. And as a Christian, I'm going to proudly wear the badge that I'm intolerant. Because I'm going to stand with God. What God says is right, no matter what anybody else says. Christians took the title Christian and, and it was being thrown at them as an insult in Antioch. Well, you're just a bunch of Christ followers. You're just little Christs. And the Christians in Antioch said, you know what? We like that term. Yes. You were using it as an accusation and, as, and as, a, as, a, you know, as something bad. We like it. We're going to call ourselves Christians. We need to be careful that we don't start falling into the way the world tries to bend us. Because the world is always going to try to bend us away from God and we need to stand on God. If that makes us intolerant, praise God, we're intolerant. If that makes us out of step with the world, praise God, I'm not supposed to be in step with the world anyway because I'm in step with God's kingdom. We need to be able to say, I'm going to stand with God no matter what the world says, no matter what our family says. And we brought, brought this up, Jesus said, I came to bring separation, not peace with us because he brought the truth. And for many of us in our families, we understand that whole separation in the family, but they don't understand how can you believe this stuff? You know, and they're because they're stuck in the world, and there's a divide between family members. God can heal it. God will heal it. Possibly will heal it. But there is that divide because they look at you, and usually when the world looks at us, they think we're nuts. And you know what we are because we believe in God. As far as the world's concerned, we are nuts. But I want to be a nut for God with no problem whatsoever. I want to be his special creation, his peculiar treasure, because he bought us. And we're not to be like the world. And the problem in America, in the most part, is the Christians are trying to be like the world. They're trying to be accepted by the world. And if you're a true follower of Christ, we cannot be like the world, and we will not be accepted by the world. And the further this country gets away from God, the more the divide will be there, and the harder it will be on Christians to stand for Christ. But at the same time, it is a good thing, because all of a sudden the light shines. People say, all right, these Christians are different. Why are they different? Let me look a little closer at them. When, the world, when the Christianity is trying to be like the world... We're not a light. We're not a draw. We're not lifting up Christ. We're not drawing people to him. And there's nothing for them to draw. Well, why should I be a Christian? You act just like me. You do the same things I do. You drink the same things I drink. You, you're doing the same drugs I'm doing. You get divorced at the same rate we're getting. Why should I be like you guys, you Christians? And when we're living up to the way God wants us to be, there's something that's a division. People look and say, do I want to be a Christian or do I want to be like the world? And they look at Christians and say, eventually if we're living the way we're supposed to, they go, there's something about them. They're different. They're happy. They're joyful. They're, they're at peace. Nothing in the world is going to bring that peace. Nothing. Look at all the celebrities who you know, commit suicide. You know, they're supposed to have everything we want, right? They've got money and status and and they get to be the number one person when they go in, you know, they get to cut the lines and and get places first. They're supposed to have everything they want. They've got the big house, their names are recognized. And yet they're ending up committing suicide at, at phenomenal rates because it doesn't what we look, think we want is not what's going to satisfy because it's God who satisfies, and that's why Christians have to live according to God's standards, lifting Jesus up so that He will draw them. He will draw people to Him, and it's very important because right now, how we hear it all the time you know, well, the church is full of hypocrites, and unfortunately, the church many churches are full of hypocrites people that say one thing and do another. Now, the problem is, it's always going to be that way. There's always going to be hypocrites in a church, and we can't—you know—they can't just look at it. But there needs to be enough Christians that when they look at churches, they see mostly people following God. And we've shared this many times. Barnum has said in his surveys that he believes that 50% of the average church is not saved. From his surveys, I think he's being way too generous. I believe that it's probably closer to 80 to 90% of the average church that's not saved. Because a saved person is somebody who's in a relationship with Jesus Christ and is lifting Jesus up. And I've been around long enough in the church to see people that have been in church all their life all of a sudden realize before they die, I've never known God. I have never known him. And getting saved at a very old, older age because they all of a sudden realize, well, I've been in church all my life. I believed I believed the Bible. I believed all this stuff, but I didn't believe it the way God said. And biblical belief is to put all of our faith and support upon that statement. I cannot get to heaven except by Jesus Christ. Period. End of story. It doesn't matter what else there is out there. It doesn't matter what good or bad I'm doing. Without Christ, I do not go to heaven. I have to totally believe that. And if there's any other thing in the back of your mind that says, well, maybe I can do this. It is not Jesus plus anything. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It's not Jesus plus going to church every day of the week. It's not Jesus plus reading my Bible every day. It's not Jesus plus doing more good than bad. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And I put all my trust on him. You're still going to heaven as long as you are saved. Right. Now, again, if somebody can sin consistently all the time and is not under conviction for their sin, the bigger question is, I need to look at myself and say, am I one of God's children and am I saved? Well, you also have to ask for forgiveness for that. Yes. Well. Yeah, there's a lot of things involved to have fellowship with God. But just because we sin does not send us to hell. And there's a lot of churches that teach you can lose your salvation, which is kind of a scary way to you know, kind of scary way to live. I'm driving down the road and I, and I commit a sin just moments before I get into a, an accident where I die. I didn't have time to repent from that sin because I, you know, uh, I'm a guy, maybe I saw this really, really beautiful woman, I had this lustful thought and all of a sudden I wreck into my car. I wreck my car. Okay? <laughs> Oh, no, I'm going to hell because I just committed adultery in my heart just before I died. This is why it's it's all Jesus. It really is. It's all Jesus. We have a situation here. All sin in God's sight is sin and is worthy of hell. That does not mean that the consequence for every sin is the same. Okay? Okay. The consequence for a lie is going to be a lot less consequential than the actual of murdering people because a a murderer is worthy of death physically, not just spiritually. A sin, the lie, is not good. Gossip is not good. Hell is the destination for any sin. Specific and think about what you're doing. But yes, there is a point where, God, if there's anything else I have forgotten, please please forgive me would be a good, good pray. And also, if it's it something I need to really repent from, bring it back to my mind so that I know I've made a mistake and I don't want to do it again. I think that would be the better thing, of praying for God to bring to remembrance what you, whatever you need to pray for. Because otherwise, it's like the little kid, uh, you know, well, Mom and Dad, forgive me for anything I've done wrong. I don't know what it is. I really don't care. It's just forgive me. Yeah. If we don't recognize what we've done, we will continue doing what we've done or didn't know about. And there's things that that can happen. And that's something that is, it's a viable prayer. Okay, I'm not going to say it's a bad prayer. Please forgive me for any bad thoughts that I have had in my mind today. Now, would that be okay? If you have tied it in with real confession for what you have done, what I'm saying is, as long as you go, God, I know I've done this, please forgive me. God, I know I've done this, please forgive me. God, I know I've done this, please me. And God, if there's anything else I haven't, that I have forgotten or don't remember, please forgive me of those or bring them to my remembrance for forgiveness. Yes, so, yes, in one sense, as long as you've put some time in it to actually con- oh, no, confess to sins, to, to, then, really to then blanket, that's fine. I but if you went in there and you said, God, just forgive me all the sins, I, you know, I, I don't remember yeah. them all, then, then you're really trying to shortchange yourself. Now that, that's fine to add on, add on to, to confession already, Annie. Oh Verse 18, the high, the high hills are a refuge for the wild goats. The rocks are for the coonies. So again, here we go, the, a refuge, a shelter for the goats, which we, we know goats love, love hills and cliffs. And I, I, amaze some, I get amazed sometimes when you see these pictures of goats on an almost sheer cliff and they're standing on something. Who knows what it is they're standing on, but they're standing on something on that cliff. (laughs) But that's what goats do. The, The mountains and the hills, the cliffs are really designed for goats. The rocks are for the coonies or the rock badgers. Whatever. We really don't know exactly what that animal is. And then he says, for you appointed the moon for season. The sun knows it's going down. God created the moon and the sun. And what does he say in Genesis? For the seasons they are how we map out our seasons the stars were put up there for signs and it's kind of an amazing thing not the way astrologers use use the stars but the stars were put there with a story in mind and we've shared you this one of the one of the books I read many years ago and I still have it in my library it's out of print as far as I know is the gospel in the stars where God puts the gospel literally in the stars this book really made an impression on me because it literally if you think about it god put the gospel in front of the people from the oldest times and has the story of redemption told right in the heavens and the funny thing about it is if you read some of these missionary stories these missionaries will come to natives who've never heard the story and then they'll start telling them about the story of jesus and they go oh We understand that story because it's already been brought out to them. God God is, God is the one that gave the stars. God is the one that named the stars. He's the one that put the constellations in place. And you know that it was him because all civilizations have the same combination of stars up there. With the same general stories attached to the stars. And everybody knows, if you look at the Big Dipper, you automatically see a bear, right? Isn't that what you see when you see the Big Dipper? You see the bear? I see the Dipper. I see is the Big Dipper. Dipper. <laughs> Dipper. Is she that your point? That's the point, you know. Point? The, the, the point is, <laughs> when you look at these bear. stars, there's no way that you see <laughs> what you? the stars represent. So there's no way that everybody could look up there and say, Oh, oh, yeah, okay, I, see, I see the bear up there. It's <laughs> obvious that it's a bear. <laughs> you know, no, it, that's why we call it the Big Dipper because it looks more like a dipper than it does oh, yeah, yeah. Canis Major and Canis Minor, which is what they actually are, the, the big dog and the little dog. But that's the whole point of it. When you see Orion up there, you don't really see a man with his foot over the head of a serpent with a club in his hand holding the, holding the uh, bear, uh, here, holding the head of the animal ready to kill it okay all all you see is three stars with the two above and two below but the point of this is is God put those up there he's the one that named everything he's the one that put the story behind the stars and again we we bring it the constellations run from Virgo to Leo Virgo the Virgin to Leo the mighty mighty lion and King with all of the signs in between it, all the activity in between it that shows sin being restored. The uh, cenotar in the heavens, which represents the joining of two unlike natures, Jesus being man and God. The cenotar represents that, that two dual nature, the arrow of heaven, the serpent of, of the of the stars that is running through the entire 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 solar system as it runs around and it is amazing it is amazing what God has done it is amazing what God has has taught it's amazing to see what God declares and he is so special he has given the gospel from the very beginning Genesis 315 is the first mention of the gospel that the Messiah was coming he put I believe totally he put the gospel in the sky so that every night when they were looking at it, they're going, okay, God, we see this. You're, you, you're going to be the one redeeming us. And the gospel runs its course. The birth of Jesus through, through his joining, of, joining together with man, being sacrificed. If you go far enough south, you see the southern cross. And the southern cross is so beautiful because it's in the middle of a black spot of the sky. There's no other stars around it in that section. And it's just beautiful. And he put the cross in the very skies of the, of the uh, very skies. We see the serpent being judged with, with Orion and Orion's foot is over the, over the serpent, ready to crush his skull. And we see all the, the story, all the way to him coming back victorious and, and ruler and taking back rule. And God showed this to our, our Adam and Eve every night. Here it is, here's your story. You, you, you rejected it here's the story. He named the stars and and I don't remember all the names of the stars, but it's an amazing thing when you look at the names of the stars. Uh, Chuck Minzler has done this thing on the Gospel of the stars and he says the story is actually in the magnitude of the stars. If you read the magnitude of the stars and you read their take their original names, you see the gospel message in each one of the constellations in in the scales you've got the star that is the price deficient and this and the star of this name price sufficient. And it's Jesus' paying that bill and the sin did not was deficient. We see everything about it. People will say, well how do these people who've never heard the gospel know about the gospel? Because God has put it into the very core of everything He teaches. Now, mythologies have Twisted it and changed things and made them look bad. This is why you have to go back into some of the very original stories, which are basically go back to Babylon. But most people believe that it also goes back into the Hebrew people who brought the gospel message, and they and when they came to Babylon, the Babylon astrologers took those names and and put them down on their papers. Uh, but it is an amazing study, really. If you can get hold of the book, The Gospel and the Stars, I recommend reading it because God has put the message out there. It's been out there from the beginning. And from the very beginning of time, Nimrod came along in the Tower of Babel. He created false religions and false and false followings. And his what he started at the Tower of Babel still goes all the way through today. And this is where we get Mystery Babylon, all false religions have their roots in, in the Babylonian religion that Nimrod started at the Tower of Babel and in, we're making full circle. Why did God confuse the languages of the people? Because he said, are of one language and they, whatever they put their mind together, together to do, they will do. And in, he was really referring to evil and he says, well, I'm going to mix their languages up and send, send them around. We've come full circle. Language is not a barrier anymore at the highest level. So, I mean, we can, at the lowest individual level, yeah, you know, if I don't know how to speak your language and you don't know how to speak my language, we have a barrier, but at the governmental and the world level, language is no longer a barrier. They've got translation services. I mean, technically, if you're traveling and you have a cell phone, all you gotta do is plug in your, what you wanna say, and it will read your words in another language Two people so that you can verbally communicate with somebody else who can type in their words and have it read back to you in English. The, the Tower of Babel has come full circle and we are headed that way in Revelation. We're going back to Babylon the Great. The mystery Babylon, the religious side of Babylon is going to be re-lifted up. It has never been totally gone almost all false religions have their roots in the old mystery Babylon system. And that has been around since the Tower of Babel, since Nimrod. Now Nimrod seems to have had some very special relationship with Satan to do this because he's coming. he was the one that laid the roots to these. And, and we see what he did is the roots of mystery Babylon are all through the Asian religions, are all through many of the native religions, are all through Much of what Catholicism does is based in mystery Babylon uh, ideas and thoughts. The sad thing is that the Christian church has been polluted as well and paganized in many ways. We do a lot of things in our churches that have its roots in these bad (laughs) roots. We need to be careful about that. That's why we get into God's word and we teach his word and we do things his way. But we want to be very careful because it's real easy to fall into ritualism. You know, very easy to fall into all the ritualism that Mystery Babylon's all about. But we do have all of these things that are going on in our, in, our, in our days and all of our times. But God has got a plan. He's always had a remnant of people that follow Him. And we want to be part of that remnant. We want to be in His Word. Does that mean we're going to do everything perfect? No, but we're going to love him with all of our heart. We're going to desire to do what he wants. We're going to teach his word. And we are going to be at this church, while I'm the pastor, a remnant church. We're going to teach God's word. That may mean that we will never have ten or 20,000 people in our church. But we will have what God wants because we are going to lift up God's word. We're going to lift up Jesus in everything that we do, everything that we try to accomplish. Because I want Jesus always to be lifted up. I want to do the best job I can of lifting him up. Is it going to be perfect? No. But I want to lift him up and celebrate him and, and, and have people look at him and say, I want to follow God. I want to be like him. And we're going to end there. Uh, let's do 20 because that's the last on that thought. You make darkness and it is night wherein all the beasts of the field do creep forth. This idea, he, he talked about this and he goes, I bring darkness. And what happens in the dark? The beasts crawl out. Yeah. And it really is true, even in our day and age, that at night, most animals seem to be nocturnal. There are animals that wander around during the daytime dogs i've found out are pretty nocturnal animals for the most part they like to be active during night they they like to they like the dark they cats love to wander around at night that's their cats are nocturnal animals really they'll tolerate the daytime and they'll be out and that's what this says you know you know they tolerate the day and they'll they'll advance and move around at night but they really are animals that hunt and you know m- I tell Willyn all the time, you don't have to turn the lights on for, for the dog. He'll wander out there, no problem. He has no problem walking through that house. I turn the lights on so I don't stumble all over everything. Not that the dog needs it, and if you have a cat, they don't need light at all. Uh, they see really well without, without lights. He says, at night, the beast creep. But you know, even for humans, at night, the evil comes out on humans. More than at daytime. When do bad things usually happen? Turn on, <laughs> turn on your news in the morning and, and have them list all the things that have happened that night. That doesn't mean bad things don't happen during the daytime, but most people do not commit burglaries and all this stuff during the daytime. Yes, there are exceptions to the rules, but at night, under the cover of darkness, evil comes out and, and, and manipulates things. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you and to seek you. Lord, we ask that you will help lead us in all that we do. Help us to share you with others. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen.